now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, number 52. I'm Chris Honeywell. And I'm here with a whole crew, and notoriously missing is is my my little buddy Scott Gardner. Little buddy, but Breeze. we're gonna overcompensate by having three other nerds here, including missing for the last month or so, Mr. Michael Bailey, making his hey everybody, I am back triumphantly. I'm sure no one missed me, and of course Paul Spataro. Ah, how you doing? <laughs> Which is funny because I'm looking at the like Hannibal Lecter picture of him and it's going, da how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just, I, every I, time man is inhabited Hannibal Lecter's body. I'd, lo- I'd totally like to see Hannibal Lecter with a Brooklyn accent saying <laughs> I ate her with barba beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> but we'd, it would be with a nice Chianti. Yeah. Chianti. And speaking of... We've got Dr. Bill Robinson here. Well, where are you guys going? <laughs> Keeping with the horse theme? Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, it's Mr. William Robinson. Hello. And um, since, um, well, by the time this episode comes out, um, of course, um, Man of Steel will be out. Mm-hmm. And most of us here, I'm hoping that I'll see it this weekend. Um, Paul, you're not seeing it till later on, right? I expect to see it about a week from now. A week from now. So, you know, from so a little while after this, we're going to have a nice little discussion on, on what we think. But So in anticipation of that, we're anticipating it now, but it's going to be out by the time you hear it. But we're going to do a little Superman-centric um, episode this time. When we get into the the basic format of it, but um, first, I guess, does anybody have any great comic news or or views that have happened in the in the last month or since the last time we've seen you? Um, I um, I was totally disappointed at the comic shop today. Uh, the first issue of Superman Unchained came out uh, the day we're recording this, which is the big Scott Schneider. Uh, Jim Lee joint 
Is it uh, where he like goes to find his his woman that's been separated? Yeah, and and, and the N word is like all over this book. I'm really really kind of confused <laughs> about that. It was the first thing I was like, really, you're gonna call it Superman Unchained? Really? After Django Unchained? Okay, you get you you guys probably field tested this, so I'm, I'm... maybe maybe they figured it would be more like Hercules Unchained. But um. Today was kind of interesting because they had a mini free comic book today going comic book day going on at most comic shops, where not only would Superman Unchained number one come out, but you could go in and get a free uh, with a new cover on it copy of All Star Superman number one. And uh, it was actually at Books a Million too, because I went there today as well, and they had it up at the register. And when you bought something, they asked if you wanted a free comic, which I never turn down free comics. I mean, unless they're soiled, I usually, uh, I usually say yes. But Superman Unchained being a big budget, you know, full blown four alarm release, uh, came out with a bunch of different variant covers. And one was like you could get one of them if you ordered three hundred copies of it, and it kind of went on down from that. And unfortunately, my shop got shorted. And the two variants by Jerry Ordway and Dan Jurgens that I wanted were not there. And it made me sad. But they did have the one by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Uh, so I was glad I was glad to pick that up today. They also had, and I don't know if it ended up in the preamble or if it's gonna end up on the show, a uh, a Mad Magazine special. I'm not a big fan of Mad Magazine. I, I, I read it when I was a kid, but it, it wasn't anything that ever really like got me going. I didn't buy it month after month. But I remember when I was a really little kid reading one of the Superman parodies that they did of the fi- of the second film and thinking it was kind of funny. And they released today a compilation of the ones for one, two, three, and Superman Returns and a bunch of other little stuff. And I was leafing through that. And uh, you could really tell that at one point Mad Magazine was trying to be cutting edge with the humor. And nowadays it's just kind of dick and fart jokes. It's a different, uh, it's a different, yeah, it's a whole different world these days. I mean, the old ones are probably that more beautiful Mort Drucker caricature art you know the superman one and two ones yeah, and 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 classic mad magazine is like classic ec you really mm-hmm. can't beat oh, yeah. it the satire uh and the and the the things that they would get away with making fun of i mean super duper man which was one of their early parodies was whole it, it was it's hilarious today I mean, you have this character walking around with a good housekeeping seal on his chest. And it it is satire as of you get the sense that these guys at one point really liked this character, but now they're older and cynical and want to make fun of it. And Classic Mad has that feeling for decades. And nowadays it just doesn't really have that. Uh, But considering Mad Magazine is owned, you know, pretty much by DC Comics, it makes perfect sense that they would put this, uh, this special out. So... Uh, but other than that, I have just been reading a, a bunch of back issues and stuff. Uh, I haven't really been doing a whole lot of buying or anything because of my wife being, you know, on the mend from her car accident. So that's pretty much all I got. Well, I'm hoping, I'm guessing um, she's doing much better because you're here. So yeah, she is, uh, she is up and around. Uh, she is just trying to, 
and her arm and her ribs are still giving her a really hard time because uh, she she broke her arm, she broke her leg, and she broke six of her ribs and cracked her sternum ribs in the, the car worst. accident. You know, so, actually, usually like the, the sternum is worse. Then the ribs usually heal quicker than the sternum. That that's that's more of a lingering thing, especially when you're trying to sleep at night. Mm. Yeah, we re- we recently got rid of the hospital bed in the house. We were very happy about that because it was a big, ugly thing in the middle of the floor. So, yeah, it's hey, uh, that, it's tough. That's been used to describe me before. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got. Who's next? Well, I got I got two things and. Uh, first one and i don't want to feed into the controversy end of this and we've we've actually discussed the controversy on this a couple of months back uh but uh i've been reading and i've just been enjoying the heck out of the superior Mm spider-man is is, is, has anybody else been reading it no you know there's, there's very few books right now that i go out of my way to get on a regular basis as they come out and that is one of them and i know a lot of people are just you know apoplectic and can't get over it and uh you know oh how do you kill off peter parker as if he's not coming back yeah you know silliness but when they when they uh when they first did it in the first first issue of the superior spider-man it ended with us seeing peter parker's consciousness in the back of his mind and and kind of influencing what uh doc ock was doing and everybody i think just kind of said look they're already setting the groundwork there's going to be some sort of internal battle in the brain of peter parker and doc ock and that's how this is going to get resolved whenever it gets resolved it's so obvious it's silly but that's not what dan slot did which i love in the in issue number 10 uh i think i'm pretty sure it was issue number 10 uh doc ock does some sort of scan on his own brain, realizes that there's the Peter Parker in there, and they have that battle, and he wins, basically eliminating any remaining Peter Parker left. So now, who knows how the heck they're going to bring Peter Parker back? And it's just been real. It's been a really great ride. He's. It, it, it's funny the way it's written because he's still Doc Ock, even though he's in Peter Parker's body. He'll be talking to Mary Jane. She'll say something, and he'll he'll look he'll snap at her. You know, be quiet, woman. As, you know, which you know Peter would never do. Uh, this was an episode, or an episode, I'm saying, an issue where he was trying to basically date and bed Mary Jane, uh, and throughout it, he's he's kind of keeping his own log as to what's going on, and he was calling them like the Watson trials. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it was just great. So, so finally, you know, he's he's failing in his efforts, and then finally, he, he thinks like to himself, you know, wait a minute, I don't even have to do this. I have all of Peter Parker's memories. So clearly, if you read in between the lines, he's thinking back to Peter's romantic adventures with Mary Jane, and then satisfying himself with them. Because then he wakes up and he's like, oh, I haven't had a night's sleep that good in in months. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's funny, it's well-written, and I don't know what people are getting on Dan Slott's case about it for. I just enjoy the heck out of it. I look forward to it coming out every month. We, we've, I, I think we've talked about this in the past, uh, but, you know, we, we are at a point, uh, and I'm not trying to criticize any particular person or even particular type of person, but we're at this point, Spider-Man fans seem particularly subsess- susceptible to this, is no one wants to see that there's a long-term game going on here and we live in an era where comics 
are it's a different ball game with how these stories are told i'm not saying it's better i'm not saying it's worse i'm just saying it's different and spider-man has been around for 50 years there is only so much you can do with that character before you start repeating yourself and dan slot has done from from listening to you talk about it and listening to Andy over at Hey Kids Comics talk about it, it seems like for a te- temporarily at least he has breathed new life into this title and made it exciting and something that you want to read month after month again. And he's getting criticized for it because he's not doing the classic version of Spider-Man. And at this point, I'm like, you know what? If that's what he wants to do, and if people are enjoying it, you know, just... If you hate it, that's fine. But don't sit there and try to vilify him and make him out to be the bad guy just because he's doing what is pretty much his job to do. I mean, yeah. if, if classic Spider-Man was, uh, was still selling, they'd be doing it. But it's not, so they're doing something different. I mean, I'm not... I may read this at one point, but just listening to Paul talk about it, it sounds like it's a fun ride. It really is. It's 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 one of the few out there. It's just, there's only a handful of books right now, you know. And this is why I'm on back to the bins because I like old books. But there's only a handful of books right now that come out that I say I want to read this every month. And right now, Superior Spider-Man is one of them. So you know, I. I you know, read into that whatever you may, and I'm sure there's people out there who disagree and think it's not a good story, and that's fine. That's you know, you know, we all have our own opinions, and that's okay. I'm sure there's stories out there that other people love that I would hate, but you know, to to vilify a guy for doing what is his mission statement, uh, you know, to to come up with new and different ways to get this character involved in exciting stories and do some character development, that's the thing I don't understand. Well, and as everybody knows, it won't last forever. Yeah, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man is going to come out in a year, and when that movie comes out, Peter Parker will be Spider-Man in the comics again. Let's be realistic. But let's you know, just enjoy the ride. Nothing wrong with it. Just go with it, man. Go with the flow. That's my one thing, and, and again, I'm, I, that, I, that wasn't meant to stir the controversy so much as it was to... to Tell the people out there with an open mind that there's something out there that I would recommend for you to read. Uh, the more controversial one, and it's kind of a almost a fabricated controversy, but I just ordered uh, the Kickstarter project from Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, Weapon of God, it's called, and it looks pretty cool. But at the same time, I'm hearing some controversy about Kickstarter in general that people are being outraged by professionals selling their wares on Kickstarter, saying that they they have (laughs) the wherewithal to get their work published without doing it through Kickstarter. And by going on that forum, they are taking the opportunity away from the young, uh, unproven talent to sell their ideas, which I think is ridiculous. Do these people understand what crowdsourcing is? Exactly. That's exactly my thought. I, I don't think obviously they do. <laughs> I don't think they do. You, I mean, just because you're doing it doesn't mean you're taking away from any anybody no. else's project. You know, you you just are adding another opportunity for someone who wants to fund something that they like. You know, yeah. And, 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 and what you're basically 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, no, no, basically, that's all there is to it. You know, you should have an infinite na- amount of. That's what. That's what it's all about. It's having an infinite number of people who are saying, "This is what I'm doing," and there's some people who like to invest in stuff like that. You know, so it gives you just another thing that you can look for that. Uh, that I mean, that appeals to you. You know, so yeah, if, so if be it's it. Some- if it's something that someone's interested in, why is that a why is that a problem? I mean, basically, it's. Uh, I mean, I think the only with with anything like that, I, and I imagine if you're like, I'm just gonna go to Kickstarter and start thumbing through. There's a lot of bullshit Kickstarter programs and stuff. Oh, could more bring, than could, likely, could, yes. That I would imagine the vast majority of them are, uh, you know, people just doing weird bullshitty things trying to get money, which could grate on you, but at the same time. It's like I think the only real decision judgment that you have to make is do I want to give this money or, or not? Yes or no. And that's it. And if you don't, you know, if you don't like Jimmy Palmiotti's project, then it's very simple. Not It's very easy not to give it money. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I think Jimmy has put his money where his mouth is, too. And, and, and that's why I think he's a great example of this, because before he was as active in Kickstarter as he is now, he went out and put himself on the line a little bit and did creator-owned heroes. Mm-hmm. And I think they did eight issues of that, and from everything I understand, he took a little bit of a financial bath on that. So why does he need to, to risk his money, you know? Throw it out well, there. If people want to fund it, they fund it. Also, more to the point, the, it's, it seems like they're working under the assumption that just because you're a comic book professional that means you have the opportunity to immediately publish whatever you want to do and i think the reason why people think that is um what's his name i had it in my head robert kirkman oh because robert kirkman got popular at image and now can pretty much publish whatever he wants because the um yeah, that's you know, guy. The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead makes more money than anything out there, and and you know didn't sell well in the single issues, but those trades do boffo work. They think, yeah, if you're a professional, you just go to the publisher and they'll put out whatever you want, and it doesn't work like that. How many? It how many really people doesn't. can you name? How many people can you name that had that have had Robert Kirkman type uh, opportunities? Prime Kirkman, McFarlane. Todd McFarlane. And to some extent, the other originators of of uh, image, of image, and that's about it. I mean, Jimmy Palmiotti has been working in this industry for over t- almost thirty years now, and you know, for a long time, he was just inking. He was an inker for a lot of the books on the Milestone books back in the early nineties, and then he and and Joey Q started up Event Comics, and they started Marvel Knights, and then I don't really know everything that happened with all of that uh well he had a um there was actually an event at my local comic store i want to say about seven eight years ago where he was pushing a book uh i think he was part writer on it oh man dealt with the suit they did a lot of different uh covers that were homages to spider-man and other ones unless i'm getting Uh, the, the, the 100 project oh maybe that was it i'm not can't remember man just I just can't think right now. Damn. <laughs> Dr. Bill is flummoxed. <laughs> that was real life with Dr. Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill, have you been hitting up the laudanum again? <laughs> 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 
I've been drinking the formaldehyde. He's an ether fiend. What are you? What are you? What are you? What's his name from Ed Wood? I I, I just picture. <laughs> I don't picture Doctor Bill Robinson as a modern, you know, doctor. I picture him in like you know eighteen fifty seven. You know, yeah, the syringes I, are all glass with long me- metal needles. On, yeah, on needles them. that are like I, a quarter inch thick. You know, just picture Jack Elam from Cannonball Run too. And it, I, I, yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Actually, that's, per- that's actually perfect. I was thinking of. Uh, Steve Martin as Theodoric of York. I'm th- I was thinking of like, um, uh, what's his name, Kellogg, who you know, who ran the Kellogg Institute. It's like, oh, you have bronchitis, you need an enema. Yeah, you need a bowel movement. <laughs> you need a PM, like post haste, sir. Oh, you have a headache. <laughs> You've got something in your eye. Well, you need a high colonic. Nothing that, that some prunes won't handle. <laughs> Try my new uh, super health food. It's called the Graham Cracker. <laughs> it has everything you need to survive in it. Well, that's it for my uh, my current events talk. <laughs> what a way to end it. On the high colonic? Yeah. On the high colonic. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything this time around, current event-wise, uh, for comics. Uh, except that my... Uh, my local LCS did move from one location in the mall to the other. They moved down. Uh, they moved three doors down to a new store. No, that's not a musical reference. That actually happened. And uh, but did they go crazy? And will they call you <laughs> Superman? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they got a. They have a much much bigger store now. It's almost uh, maybe about one and three quarters the size of the one they had. Uh, and they've added gaming and everything else. So go see them at the Gulfview Square Mall if anybody's in Fort Ritchie, Florida. It's a great place. Yancey Street Comics, they're online. Check them out. Why are like three quarters of the podcasters that we know live in Florida? What is it about Florida that attracts comic book and, and geek podcasters and serial killers? <laughs> it's so we can kill all the silverfish. I guess we have a lot of them down here. <laughs> Die, die! Gives you a good outlet, yeah. If you were living somewhere where there were no silverfish, it would be people that you would have to. I remember the first time I saw that I saw one of those things when I was way younger, and I had just the stacks of comics when they weren't in boxes and boards and everything. Did you scream like a little girl? (laughs) Scream like a little girl. I was like, "What is that? (laughs) Some type of alien creature?" And then I. Then years years later, I found out that oh, they eat comics. They eat comics. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I think silverfish and cockroach cockroaches have this little. I think there's a part of the human brain that instantly, as soon as it sees it, and sees that outline, it just goes. Right. Ah, no, because um, neither of I, them, neither of them are actually harmful to a human. You know, a cockroach could theoretically bite you there but you, both you of them make you just pan, they just hit that adrenaline button and go get away from this thing i knew a guy in the navy that you you could take your two fingers and just move them back and forth like two little antennae and he would freak out he couldn't even look at you i'm telling you there's like some little trigger in the brain and you're triggering it and he was just like no there's a giant cockroach projected inside his head you know the uh when I first started dating my wife, uh, we were getting ready to go out one night, and she came out of the bathroom screaming, 
it's gonna eat me and this and she <laughs> runs out and then this cockroach runs out because we sorry water bugs that's what we call them in the south water bugs or palmetto um, bugs right or palmetto bugs and it runs after her and then runs after her again and then runs away from her like i'm just gonna get away from the screaming woman <laughs> so it tried to run her off twice that's the thing about cockroaches is though they're they're afraid of you, but they will. Sometimes they're not afraid of you. They can't hurt you, but still, something, even anything that runs at you is instantly just like ah. <laughs> so, I, we have silverfish at work too. Mm-hmm. They are the they're actually what I call the store mascots because they're just omnipresent, especially in the ink department for some reason. So now they make this new gun that I want to get. It's like called the assault rifle or something like that. And you actually load it with table salt. It's like, has a little like pump air compressor, like a old BB gun, but it shoots a spray, a deadly spray of table salt in like a one inch circle. And you can just pull pick flies out of the air. And I'm imagine a silverfish at like 20 feet. So I think that would be a lot of fun. I would I if the people who have that product want to have a sponsorship with Two True Freaks, get a hold of us. Oh, you wouldn't, you know, if you run out of flies to pull the wings off of. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that just slows them. That makes it less sport. I wouldn't have to pull the wings off them anymore. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) actually, be better for the flies. Yeah. Well, I only have a few. Little things. I've been garage shelling. I got some. I've really? Been, you? Uh, Coaches? Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten some comics from around the world at um, garage sales lately. I'm trying to find somewhere I have the name written down. I got some British ones. I've been getting little kids comics from around the world. And the, when I when I first got some British comics, I was disappointed to find out that they didn't have value here in the states. No, they don't. Like I thought, they oh, really this is so cool. It's from overseas. You know, it's, it's so hard to get these, or it should be. They have a completely <laughs> different flavor and feel to it. The, the uh, British one is funny because uh, uh, apparently one of the more popular characters uh, in, in these comics is a character called Dennis Menace, who is yes. completely different than he's not. He's just somebody. They were created at the exact Dennis. same really. time. Just just completely by coincidence both in the united states and in the uk dennis the menace a character called dennis the menace with similar concepts mm-hmm. behind them just man thing up here swamp, um, man man thing and uh, swamp thing yeah and they're and they're Thanos and then dark side and they're obviously sort of dennis the menace in america is younger this one's a more like street urchin but you know, with the with the slingshot hanging out of the ass pocket of his back pocket in the in a beanie, and uh, and they're all just they're 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 very. It's funny the um, British kids comics are very anti-authoritarian. It's all mostly like kids. You know, they're just pandering to kids relentlessly. It's just kids making a fool of their teacher and their parents and. And all that were the American comics are sort of more like, well, at least when I was growing up, they were like little dot and stuff. They were just sort of little stories based on goofy characters. And then I got some German comics 
And what was the name of one of those? Ah, I can't remember. Anyway, I'm looking at my list and I don't, I don't see here. But they were ki- their kids' comics. I don't know what the hell's going on. Tom Barry was the name of one of them, and it was a- another little mischievous. They're they're all mischievous kids. Um, I mean the only mischievous German kids I knew before this were the Katzenjammer kids. And I don't even know if that that was a comic from Germany. I just know that they all talked in, you know, comic book German accents. And my only other real, real comic thing is awesome. And I don't want to save it till Star Wars Monthly Monday. But um, Sean Engel is number one. That's right. It was Dr. Bill Robinson was number one. <laughs> for... Uh, <laughs> for supporting my uh, Walking Dead ham- habit, but oh, so now I'm number two. Thanks. You are number <laughs> now number two. You're number ten, GI Joe. Who the number two work for? <laughs> Who runs Barter Town? Um, <laughs> Master Blaster runs Barter Town. No more methane. So I got a package, a package in the mail. I'm sure you do. <laughs> from uh, <laughs> I've got quite a package in the mail today, from Sean Engel. And if anybody watches Game of Thrones, getting a package in the mail is uh, it got a new meaning in the last Game of Thrones. But um, <clears throat> yes, he provided me with one of my lost last issues that I need of like three issues of Marvel Star Wars and. Not only that, the hardest one that was going to be for me to find, Star Wars 107, the last issue, which we just covered in the last Star Wars, the epic Star Wars Monthly Monday that Scott Gardner put together. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know what to say. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome. It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually waiting to, like, slide it into its place in my collection. I don't know if anybody else can identify. <laughs> Are you gonna, like, put on a smoking jacket and put on, like, some, some like, like, some rat pack type music in the background? The go, watch it. <laughs> I wish I had some sort of HAL 2000 like, comic thing that where I could just, like, push a couple buttons on a wall and a little panel will slide out and I'll slide it into place and then all the lights will light up. I still, I, I think I still need 106 and a couple in the early, earlier numbers in the 20s and 30s or something like that. But those ones, 106 isn't that, is, is a little more expensive because it's one of the later ones with a low print run. But the other ones aren't hard to find. I'm just being lazy with them. But other than that, I'm, that's pretty much. I haven't been seeing. I haven't even been seeing any of the big long boxes full of crappy '90 comics. Oh, that that that's but. that's the collection the guy that owns the shop I go to bought today. I was kind of looking through it, and I'm like, wow, this is all fifty cent fodder. I mean, yeah. it's like like almost like a full run of the Avengers from the '90s: Avengers West Coast, Namor, the Submariner, which actually the first. 25 issues of were written and drawn by John Byrne. So, yeah, they're pretty good from what I've that's, seen. That's it's it's a good title. I I, I had mine had um, mysteriously disappeared at one point, so I may you know go back there and you know 50 cents a piece. You really really can't beat that. So mm. it yeah. was just 
read them again. So oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you could be twenty five cents a piece, but what is tw- you know, you can't even get a piece of gum for twenty five cents these yeah. days. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no doubt. So, yeah, and 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 sometimes I'll go to a garage sale and people have that long box and they realize it's fifty cent fodder, so it's like five for a dollar and stuff like that because they know it's a garage sale. But most of the time it's people who had them in the box and now they're like, oh, it's been 20 years. Now this stuff finally <laughs> pays off. Yeah. Good and luck with that. Yeah. you. And, they, <laughs> and the, they'll see uh, Idle up to it and they'll oh, I see you like comics. Huh? There's a lot of good stuff in there. A lot of number ones. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like really? Multiple are they all, or are they all Turok Dinosaur Hunter? <laughs> they're all like you know, X-Force number one and stuff like that. Was he throwing away that box today when you saw him? Yeah, I was about to say. Burning it. <laughs> Sir, uh, I was like, when, this one time, me and my buddy, years ago, were, uh, were going to this one comic shop, and this dude was carrying these two short boxes, and he threw them into the dumpster. I'm like, what the hell is he throwing away? He goes, oh, those are the two boxes of Turok Dinosaur Hunter number one that they throw away <laughs> every day since they ordered them. So. <laughs> It's like E.T., the video game. There's a landfill somewhere filled with them. I heard they were actually... They're I, making a documentary. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to excavate I... it. They're going to... They're gonna, they, they found a garbage man who knows the spot, and they're going to go you, dig it up. You know what they need to do for that documentary? You know exactly what they need to do. They need to have... They need to pay Harrison Ford. And Sala to go into it. Uh, yeah, to come to it, to get the little thing, you know, the little metal, put it on a pole, put it so that the light shines on where all of the E.T. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be great. With the John Williams score in the background. <laughs> then they open up the crypt and Sala looks in. <coughs> Atari 2600. Very deadly. You go first. Nah, I thought you were going to say they should get Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> the vaults of Al Capone. Exactly. <laughs> Every once in a while, I try to test the people I work with to see, you know, what level of of geekiness they're at. And the other day, I was having to lead some of my associates around. I go, "Follow me. I know the way." And I really wanted one of them to say, "Lost in his own museum, eh?" But <laughs> it's, it's a dozen happen. languages. He'll blend in. You'll never find him. I say, does anyone speak? Uh... <laughs> okay oh, before we tangent anyway. too far i'm gonna add one more thing to this is i got a good idea for a prank we go to the where that we find out we bribe the junk man to find out where the spot is and we we piece together like from a go to a butcher and get like parts of lambs and, and goats and stuff and piece together a little E.T. corpse and bury it in there ahead of time and see if we can't change the whole tone of the documentary when they think about <laughs> like a total, you know, UFO conspiracy. Isn't that the game that almost sunk Atari? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it didn't, I guess it didn't, they made money. It's, it's like a lot of things where it went down in history as a huge... Colossal um, failure. A colossal failure, but it actually they actually sold a lot of them and made a little money. They just didn't sell the humongous amount of them that they thought they would and that they made in anticipation of selling. Hey, everyone calls Youngblood number one a failure. They sold over a million copies. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, yeah, most of those are in quarter bins right now, but if, but in nineteen in April of nineteen ninety two, you were paying full price for that thing. That was going to send kids to college one day. Yeah, clown yep, college. That's like anything in there. It's like anything. <laughs> You know, my, my son my son's a sophomore in high school now, and, and he's taken to uh, answering when people say, you know, have you thought about college? And that's his answer to everybody now. I'm looking clown into the finest, finest clown colleges in the country. Clown college is tough, man. It's not. It's like culinary school, only the best. Is there a lot in your neck of the woods, though, Paul? What's that? Aren't there a lot in your neck of the woods, though? Clown colleges? Clown colleges. Oh, colleges. <laughs> yeah. Well, he should talk to Scott. Scott failed out, didn't he? Oh. <laughs> of clown college? Yeah. Oh my God, that would be a clown I'd love to hire for my little kid's birthday party. <laughs> Shut up, you little brat! <laughs> it's like Doctor McCoy is a clown. Going to show you, you how to pop you, balloons. Did you ever see when uh, John Favreau was on Seinfeld as a clown? Oh yes. <laughs> He's Eric the clown, and uh, yeah. George was trying to talk to him about Bozo the clown. And he's like, I, I don't know, man. This is just a gig. I don't know about this clown from the 60s, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, that will, tie into, that will tie into something I've got for later, actually, which is really cool. Speaking of later, I'm going to segue it, guys. I'm going to do it. I'm going to button. It's You're time us for... The Freaky Five. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll we'll go in a circle with who's on my my Skype roster. So that means Michael Bailey. And since this is your triumphant return, we'll like so, go with the the first spot. So if uh, if the alcohol that I've been drinking all day has not dulled my senses too much, I I'm getting that the Freaky Five for this month is top five Superman moments from film and television. Yes. Alrighty. Well, you know, I actually put a lot of thought into this because unlike, you know, Superman has had a very long and rich history uh, in just about every, you know, medium that has been popular. He was on the radio within three years of his creation. He had an animated, you know, the animated shorts at the Fleischer studio and then when it was bought out, produced by another company. George Reeves' television series, Filmation series from the 60s, Super Friends, animated series from 1988 that just about nobody knows about but, like, five people. Uh, so it was it was kind of tough to really, you know, rack my brains on what would be the five greatest moments from that. So what I decided to do was to go for... have at least something from every era represented. Uh, because Superman has had a lot of great moments on television. And then there was the fourth season of Lois and Clark, which was awful. So number five is actually from Smallville. It is from the final season of Smallville, uh, the first episode. Uh, Clark has to save the people of Metropolis from the Daily Planet globe from falling and crushing everybody on the ground. And it's this beautiful shot, and Smallville's special effects in the later seasons uh, were very 
epic attempts at trying to be a big budget comic book type thing but unfortunately it was tv budget so it didn't always come off but it was this really cool shot of him running from smallville to metropolis leaping on top of a car and jumping up into the air catching the globe and basically pushing it back on top of the daily planet building it was really cool I remember sitting there watching it going, wow, he is like 30 seconds from flying. I mean, it felt, for one of the rare times, you know, it felt like a true Superman moment instead of a guy who is training to become Superman moment. The red and blue blur. (laughs) The red and blue blur. Um, Number four is from something that actually uh, Hair Metal Hero and Scott and I covered. Uh, recently on uh, Commentary Monthly Monday with the Superman animated series episodes that we talked about. Number four is Superman dressed as Batman pounding on Bane like he was a side of beef in a Philadelphia butcher shop. It's this great episode where Superman dresses as Batman because he's trying because Batman's disappeared. Robin doesn't know where he is, so he and Robin face off against Bane, the Riddler, and the Mad Hatter. And at one point, Superman just loses his cool and just lays into Bane like ah, oh, it was just beautiful to watch. That was a great, great. I think that's the best episode of that whole series. See, I'm with you on that. That is my favorite, just just absolute favorite moment because from you know my geeky moment is like, well, if Superman had been around and they had been friends when Nightfall was going on, we might have seen this in the comics. But just to see that, just just that look on Bane's face when Superman when Superman breaks through that thing the Riddler hit him with, and just comes at him, it's just like oh. And the great thing about it is that at one point it cuts to Robin like chasing after the Riddler, but in the background you still hear ugh, ugh. So, <laughs> so the beating is the beating continues basically. Now that one just if I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but uh, no, go ahead. Before I focused my list, and I'll talk about how I focused mine later, one of the moments I was going to put on was the moment when he does Batman's voice. Yes. In that episode, and Robin is like, don't do that again. Yeah, because he does Batman's voice, and then he does Robin's voice, and it freaks him out. I I watched that episode, it's got to be six, seven years ago with my kids, so they were both like under 10 years old at the time. And they had never seen it before, and the three of us were watching it, and we were hysterical laughing and had to keep rewinding that scene over and over again. It was just, to me, it was just a great moment. And, you know, it's, to have a moment like that with your kids, it's just, you know, it's a tremendous thing, and you, you always remember it. So that, almost, that episode almost made it onto my list. Uh, number three, it's a weird one, but uh, I think it typifies why I love the first season of the George Reeves Superman series. Uh, it's called the stolen costume, and these oh, you gang- <laughs> and these gangsters these gangsters steal super uh, break into Clark Kent's apartment, and they find his costume, and they basically suss out that Clark Kent is Superman. And at the end of the episode, Superman's like, "Well, I can't kill you, so I'm going to leave you on top of this mountain." 
and uh, stay <laughs> here. Shoes. Yeah, like 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 this this woman, you know, like your your average gun mall from the fifties, and a gangster from the fifties dressed to the nines on top of a snowy mountaintop, and tells them, you know, just stay here. I'll bring food later. He flies off, and they try to escape and basically fall to their deaths. And it's just like. It's really funny because when I was growing up, uh, one of my best friends in the world was named Ben. And at one point after I graduated from high school, I actually lived with him and his mother when I was going to college. And what I found out is that his mother was a big Superman fan when she was a kid, being a child of the 50s. And we were talking about it one day. And she goes, yeah, and I remember there was this one episode where Superman let these people die. And we had very serious discussions about that. At you know on the schoolyard the next day after that episode aired and I'm like when I finally saw the episode I go this is must be what she was talking about and then it just it just boggled my mind that back in the 50s kids it shouldn't have surprised me but it's one of those things when you realize that really we're all the way we talk and the way we communicate with each other is is different but the the conversations are still pretty much the same Zumbaya. <laughs> so uh, and uh, the first season of The Adventures of Superman is crime noir Superman. It's very much like the radio show. And that episode was actually based on an episode of the radio show. Number two may surprise some people because I, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Superman Returns. But, you know, hot damn, him saving that space plane and then rocketing down oh, as that other plane is crashing was just breathtakingly awesome to watch from the moment he steps on to that one plane and the music comes up and he's using his heat vision to break off where the planes are stuck together and then him just trying again and again to get this plane to stop and the wing breaking off i'm like why couldn't the entire film have been like this absolutely that was just a spectacular moment and that was it was just everything you wanted in a Superman film. In a movie that was overloaded with homages to the Christopher Reeve Superman, I didn't even mind the moment at the end when he repeats his uh, yeah. air travel being the safest uh, form of transportation speech because it fit then, and it was a good moment for an homage. problem is the whole movie is an homage. <laughs> My wife saw that, and after we got out of the theater, she goes, okay, I want to know who Lois Lane's hairdresser is because her hair was not even remotely messed up and she got thrown around that plane, which is just the funny things my wife notices. Um, number one, and this will be not a surprise to anybody that really knows me, uh, I almost went with the shirt rip in Superman 2 in the alleyway, uh, which is my favorite shirt rip of that entire film series. I got to go with the helicopter sequence from Superman the movie. From the moment Clark Kent looks up and sees what's going on and that John Williams score dum, 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 kicks dum, dum, into overdrive yeah. mm. and he looks at the one at the one, you know, half phone booth and kind of gives that huh you know, and then Scott, run- I used to listen to the audio tape of that part over and over again. Say just- Jim <laughs> Well it's just, just running across the street, ripping the shirt open catching lois but then catching the helicopter too 
it may seem kind of pedestrian now. I mean, when you have a movie where Robert Downey Jr. is saving a bunch of people from falling out of a plane, but at that time, you you didn't see that in movies. You didn't you didn't have comic book movies to begin with. You know, it had been only a year after Star Wars and uh, three years after Jaws. So blockbusters on the screen were real, still fairly new. Uh, I think it's a fair statement to make. But that whole thing with the music and the special effects and the way it just makes you feel, i that is my moment of zen experience. When I'm having a bad day, this is going to sound silly, but if I'm having a bad day and I'm in a bad mood, I can watch that scene and I am just a little kid again. Just because the first time you see that, no matter what age you are when you see the film, it is just this epically eye-opening moment where you realize that, yes, it's cool to see Superman hit things, but to show that not only can we make a man fly, we can have him catch a woman, and then one-handed he's going to take a helicopter up to the roof of a building. It's just breathtaking in every... And still be chipper. Yeah, and just, you know, you know, he <laughs> love the... Just that moment where she goes, who's got me? I, you've got me. Who's got you? And he, he kind of uh, You're stealing all my thunder, man. I think that's her, the best moment, her best moment in any of those those movies. That's, that's the best that's... line delivery by her at all. Oh, she sounds completely, honestly mystified. Yeah, and, and it's it, it goes to, like, the whole thing that they're doing now where they're trying to make these movies realistic. If this really happened, that's what you would think. Yeah, you like know. like she's scared because yeah. she almost died. So, and 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 she can't put, wrap her mind around the fact that this guy not only is strong enough to hold everything up, but he can fly. <laughs> you know, because that's not normal. No, not really. I haven't met anybody yet. Yeah, it's it's just it's a great great moment. I, I can't argue with that choice in the slightest. So who's next, Chris? Uh, Paul Paul is next, actually. Okay, I like Mike. Had well, I do like Mike, but I had trouble uh, coming you up. Get with... pins made that say that. <laughs> yeah, if he, well, if he runs for a I like Mike. You like Mike. Everybody <laughs> like Mike for president. Mike for president. Mike likes to be like Mike. He hates it. Uh, I but yes, like... I do. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike, I had trouble narrowing this down. Uh, there's just so many things. So. While I've, since I've been listening to podcasts, I've found that most people say their entry into comics in the world of superheroes was the Super Friends. They watched that cartoon and that's what brought them in. My entry to, to comics was the adventures of Superman uh, being repeated on channel, I believe channel 11, uh, as I was a kid and every day coming home from school and watching it. 11 and Batman. And Batman. But Superman, so Superman grabbed me a lot more than the Batman 66 show did. I found that one entertaining, but Superman would have me, you know, just rip, glued to my TV, basically. You so and I Thomas decided, DJ had a similar childhood, sir. Well, <laughs> and, and, and I guess Tom and I are kind of contemporaries. Tom, I think, is like a year younger than me, or maybe two years younger. Uh, but Mike and 
uh, Andy and I have been talking about doing a retrospective of that series for about what have we been talking for? Close to a year now. And yeah, and, and that, that's that's actually on the good end of planning stages at the Demonzo Core, where somebody yeah. will say something, and it's like six years later is when we finally get around to do <laughs> it. So. I, I really it, yeah. hope that we get to that, though. I'm looking forward. Mm-hmm, to definitely. So. Uh, this is the first time we're mentioning it on the air, so now maybe that'll give us the kick in the butt we need to actually uh, start working on it. But I would definitely, I'm looking forward to that. But what I did was I did my top five episodes of that show. And no, coming at number five is The Big Freeze. Uh, if, if That's one of the later color episodes. Uh, and in order to neutralize Superman's powers, they put him through this oh, intense yeah. room. Uh, which which actually turns him totally white, uh, but he's but he's still mobile. But his superpowers have been neutralized, and he is white from head to toe. And he has to actually dye his hair and put skin-colored makeup on his face to try and fool people into thinking that he's just regular Clark Kent. And eventually, he has to go walk through this furnace to uh, to get rid of the effects of the freeze and get his powers back. And I just thought that was a really cool episode. Uh, number four is Superman on Earth, which is the very first episode of the TV series, and it is Superman's origin with Ethan Kent, and I forget what Ma Kent's name was. Even, it, even and Sarah. Even and Sarah, that's right. Uh, at number three, Superman and the Mole Men, which is truly the original episode, which was made as a cinematic movie, uh, and then recut into a two-part episode uh, mm-hmm. much like Star Trek did it. The episode was called The Unknown People. And I have to sit and watch both versions because I think there's episodes, there, there's scenes that are in one and aren't in the other. Uh, but I, I just always thought that was really cool. And that one probably has the least use of Superman's powers of any episode, and it's the longest one. On, but, on, the, on the other hand, it's one of the few where you will see him take off and fly. Yes. That's uh, because true. that's when they were still experimenting with that before they drop George Reeves on a, on his chest. And he's like, I'm not doing that ever again. Yeah, I th- They dropped him <laughs> on his chest and I think he whacked his head on the ground. Cause I yeah. remember oh. them saying he got like a bad concussion and, and then they started using a stunt double for some of those scenes. At number two, I have panic in the sky. Uh, there was a giant Ooh. meteor that was headed towards the earth. And Superman went up and he redirected it and saved Earth. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think there might have been some kryptonite or something on it that affected him, though. Because when he came back down to Earth, he had no memory. And based on just kind of muscle memory, he puts back on his Clark Kent outfit, but he doesn't remember being Superman. He's actually walking at one point like with his shirt unbuttoned where somebody would be able to see that he was Superman and, you know, he doesn't even realize what's going on, but eventually gets his memory back and saves the day. And the final episode, Mike, you bastard, is the stolen costume. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that is my, my favorite episode, and we I have had a debate with one of my co-workers for about the last five years where I say Superman killed those people, and he says, no, it's fine. He told them he was going to come and give them food. He, he uh, let them die. Come on. <laughs> He didn't know that they were going to try and climb down. I mean, what did they do? If he didn't come back and see their corpses and go like, oh, yep, right on schedule. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's it's like they started to climb down the mountain like about thirty seconds after he after left. he left. Yeah, it's, it isn't even like oh, you know, a week went by. He didn't bring them food, and they were getting desperate. <laughs> they was he was you know you could still hear the sound of him flying away, and they were like, all right, we might as well try and climb down now. <laughs> and she's got high heels on, and it, not only did she come flying off the mountain, but as she came flying off, she hid into him and knocked him down with her. <laughs> but. Uh, uh- Three quick things to. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Go finish. I was gonna say, just a great, great episode though, and in the, the film noir style. I just even like her explaining to him when he, he finds. I think somebody else found the costume, if I'm remembering right, and got shot while he was escaping, and he brought it to them. Mm-hmm. And then she figures out, well, this has got to be what you know the place where he goes to when he's the other guy. And the guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? And she's like, you know, people say that when Superman's not in action, he's another guy. So this must be the other guy. we got to find out where he got the, the suit from. And that's how they figure out that he's Clark Kent. A couple of quick notes to piggyback on, on, on some of your choices. The origin sequence on Krypton in Superman on Earth is pretty much directly lifted from the first episode of the radio series and from the first installment of the serial uh, they just kept reusing that dialogue and that script and the names over and over and over again. Uh, and it was really up until Superman the movie where the origin really went under a fundamental change in the media. Uh, Superman and the Mole Men, if, if you like watching B-movies from the 50s and 60s, this is really something you need to see because it's a Superman film but it's shot and the atmosphere and the music makes it feel like some schlocky science fiction film you'd watch at two o'clock in the morning on like WOR or something and uh, you know or, or, or on basic cable. Uh, it's, it's a great fun little piece that is pretty much ostensibly about how we need to stop fearing the unknown uh, and mistrusting it. Uh, I absolutely. It- Absolutely love it. You know, when you just said that, this never occurred to me before, but when you just said that, all of a sudden I thought of parallels between that that movie and the Star Trek episode Devil in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Which I had, like that thought had never hit me until just now when you said that. And I just it's kind of cool. And Panic in the Sky is a plot device that was so popular that they used it for an episode of the Superboy television series and a first season Lois and Clark episode where he would go into space, hit a meteor, and lose his memory for a little bit and then regain it at the end and take care of the meteor. So that's another reason why I think it's such a classic episode is uh, obviously they felt it was uh, worth ripping off again and again in later iterations. As you can see, just uh, based on what you were saying earlier, my my list is somewhat uh, early episode heavy uh, because I really do enjoy that film noir feel that they had early on. It's so different. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, they they went for more kid-friendly later, which I still like those too. But there's a definite more adult feel originally, and Phyllis Coates is so much more uh, serious than Noelle Neal. And better that, looking. Um, and better looking, absolutely. She got punched in the face on that show. She walked in. One of the one of the thugs was, you know, trying to knock her out on the show, and she just walked into it wrong, and he knocked her cold. 
And then they revived her. I forget which episode, but they revived her and put makeup on her really quick so that they could get the shot before the bruise developed. That's sensitivity. Get the shot. Get the shot. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't mean to step all over that. That's no, not at all. That's that was fine. I think that's a pretty cool factoid. But uh, that's all I got. So I guess we're on to Dr. Bill. Yes, we are. Yes. uh, Hopefully my sound, my connection will keep up. I've been kind of quiet tonight because my sound keeps going in and out. But um, here's my freaky five. Um, This is in no particular order. And the way I did it was I just went with um, basically the first thought that came from a certain property was what I picked as my freaky five. And when uh, um, so with Smallville, um, the, the first thing that came to mind for me was simply the opening credits. I, I found that the opening credits of that show really summed up and, you know, was straightforward with what the show was going to be about, the way it portrayed Clark. Um, the song was kind of catchy. It was so catchy. I bought the album by Remy Zero and it's not a bad so album. You're the guy. I'm the guy. That's me. <laughs> The guy driving in his truck, driving down a road, cranking that song over and over and over. Jesus, shut and that his, off. this Marvel costume. <laughs> Shh, that's another podcast. <laughs> um, the next one I have is for uh, Superman, the animated series, and it's the episode when, uh, when they had Michael Ironside playing uh, Darkseid. And at the end is when Darkseid decides to retreat and uh, Dan Turpin pipes up and says, basically, yeah, go back to where you came from, you bunch of bums. And uh, Darkseid just pauses and turns and tells Superman, you know, well, you know, for for everything, there's a price. And, and shoots shoots the Omega Beams, goes around Superman and just oof, vaporizes Dan Turpin right there. And Superman goes, g- g- loses his shit and chases after Darkseid. He disappears in the boom tube, and then he just smashes the remaining um, uh, technology that was left behind f- from the battle, and I, that it, it just it just it just stuck with me. Um, the next one I have is from Lois and Clark, and this is kind of a funny one. First thing that popped into my head was uh, from the episode with Tempest, and. Uh, <laughs> What he said, how stupid are you? Clark Kent is Superman. Duh! How dumb was, <laughs> was she? she? <laughs> Which, the guy Ray. that played H.G. Wells in that episode was the guy that plays in Weekend at Bernie's. Is Bernie's. Yeah, yeah, for, that, for that one in the fourth season episode, when they had the, the Tempest episode in the third season, they had an older actor playing an older H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a funny one too because they went to a universe where Superman never existed so Charlton Heston became president of the United States and everyone was required to carry a gun <laughs> it was one of the most heavy handed anti-gun things I have ever seen was it called cold dead hand or something <laughs> like that <laughs> cold dead president <laughs> Uh, next, I've got uh, from Superman the movie, and the first thing that popped in my head is um, Superman's anguish when Lois dies, and the the gut wrenching scream that he lets out, and just 
taking off and decides that he's going to turn back, you know, time on the earth and fix everything. And and for me, that just, I mean, there there's a lot more iconic, but that was one of the most emotional points of the movie for me. That moment scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. I was oh, yeah, five years too. old when I saw that movie, and seeing Superman scream like he's pissed off, it's like, oh, God, Dad's mad! Everyone get down! <laughs> and, and my last one, and um, a lot like Paul, my, my first exposure that I remember to Superman was from The Adventures of Superman. And I had to actually track down this episode and watch it last night because I wanted to see if it still held up and, and, and it did for me and that's the mysterious cube that's in that one there's a um, there's this cube at at this uh, at this guy's house and Inspector Henderson has supposedly had the army drop a shell on it which is kind of strange considering that the guy's house is still next to it <laughs> You know, like really, you had a, you had the army fire a shell at this, and there's a house right here. Okay, whatever. Yeah, you know, they, the house wasn't in the budget. <laughs> yeah. So they've done that. They've tried to cut it. They've known done er- everything they can, and then so Superman comes out, and he you, because they believe that there's that this guy's brother is is locked up inside the cube, and he's been in there for seven years, or he's going to be in there for seven years. The plan is to have him. After the seven years are up, he gets out and he's legally declared dead and he can't be held accountable for any of the crimes that he has already committed. So he's going to get off scot-free because he's dead. And his brother talks to him via a stethophone, which he explains to the (laughs) idiot uh, henchman he has numerous times. And the guy still never gets it, which the henchman was great. Um, So they've got the plan rigged. Nothing can stop him. Superman comes out, and the way they portrayed Superman is he can't get in there. He tries his heat vision, and they they do a close up on George Reeves' eyes, and he's sweating and he's squinting, and and you know he's his eyes are getting wide, and he's oh. then he then he stumbles back, and he's like, well, I'll just blast my way in, and he goes up and s- smacks against it and bounces off, and and, and they're just laughing at him, like, yeah, you can't get in, can you? So so then he goes to another scientist. And this guy comes up with this hairball idea. Oh well, you could just you could just phase your way through it. Just walk through the wall, Superman. Really? Let me go try on this wall over here. And he disappears. And then he comes back through the wall. And he's like, Oh, I'll try that. So, as insurance to make sure that Superman can't get into the cube, of course, Jimmy and Lois get kidnapped, and they're being held hostage. And and um, Basically, if anything, if, if if Superman tries to get back in again, they're going to use them uh, against him to keep him out. Well, he he comes back, he comes back again. He doesn't know about Lois and Jimmy yet. He starts to phase in. They get the little stethophone. They put it on there, and he's telling his brother, who's inside, Superman has found a way to get in, and Superman can hear this because he's faced with the wall during this time, and. Um, they, um, he hears that Lois and Jimmy are kidnapped, so he phases back out, and he's like, oh, I couldn't get through, oh, and he stumbles away, and he's like, yeah, that's right, yeah, and I'm gonna tell you, he is in there, and there's nothing you can do about it, and by the way, he'll be out at t- five minutes after 12 tomorrow, because he's got a clock in there linked to the Naval Observatory, and Superman goes, really? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so then Superman kind of hunches his shoulders and walks away, 
do, 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 do. Oh, I'm so beaten. And they're like, ah, look at him. <laughs> and then when they turn away, he perks up and does this happy little three-step run and jump. And next you see him talking to an admiral. And it's like, no, really, I need you to do this. Well, uh, yes, I I, uh, I just got off the phone with the president. Anything you need, Superman will do. So next they cut to the next day. They're, uh, the guy on the inside, he's using acid to cut through the cube. He steps out of the cube at 10 minutes after, was it 10? Yeah, he's like 10 minutes after 12. And uh, he's like, ha, and out from around the cube comes Inspector Henderson. And he's like, aha, we got you. He's like, oh, no, 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 it's 10 minutes after 12. You can't get me. Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> Superman had the Naval Observatory speed up their clock one second every minute for the past 24 hours. So it's actually 10 minutes to 12. Do, do, do. Oh, you're telling me I spent seven years there? That's right. So Superman's superpowers actually did him no good whatsoever. And it was his super smarts that saved the day. And they, and that's my freaky five. Little, little known fact about that episode: the close-up on George Reeves where he's sweating and all that. They basically just waited till right before lunchtime when he would, you know, get liquored up, and he was kind of <laughs> going through the DTS. So they just wanted it to be as accurate as as humanly possible. I well, I thought maybe he was passing like a hot tamale or something. Because... <laughs> Kidney stones. Kidneys are a scary thing. My comment on, on your five is, first of all, the Mysterious Cube was actually in mine until yeah, you told me it was in yours, and I replaced it with an alternate. So I think that's a great episode. Uh, and to me, the follow-up to that scene you talked about with Darkseid is the uh, Justice League Unlimited uh, series finale, uh, when he basically goes to town, just lets loose, and does his his dawn the crap out of Doc Ducks. Any of those fights, the the season opener to the second season of Justice League when they cut it, but Superman tells Darkseid to go to hell, and then the whole place is blowing up around him, and Superman's like, "I'm not leaving here until you're a greasy smear on my fist." Let's go. And at one point, Darkseid's stepping on his face, and you see the two pinpricks of heat vision start appearing on Darkseid's oh, foot great. and erupt right out of it. I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> that is great. There's, that may be the... I mean, if you, if you combine Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, that may be the single best animated series ever. Best representation of the DC Universe ever. In, yes, in no question. Form. Just, in any know, form. In yeah, any just, adapted form, yes. They distilled every single one of those characters to their essences and showed why they're awesome in the first place. And the action was good. And the characters, it's like they had a Seven Soldiers of Victory episode that guest starred the Newsboy Legion. Five people are going to know who that is in, in like the general comics reading audience. So it was beautiful. I love that. They took characters who were popular in the comics world, but virtually unknown to the public, and put them out there, like the Question mm-hmm. and uh, Captain. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Captain. Captain Adam. Captain uh, Adam. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Chris loved the question on this series. He's a complete conspiracy theorist. Hmm. 
uh, of a character, and at one point he's being tortured, and all he will say, all he says, is things like, "Aglets are the little plastic tips on the ends of shoelaces." <laughs> Their purpose is sinister. Isn't it one point where he's like looking through things and he finds like proof that four out of five dentists didn't recommend no, it? Like, he's like, I knew it. Aha, thirty-two flavors. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, voiced by oh, Jeffrey guy. Combs. Yes, yes, the from Reanimator himself. Reanimator, yep. Or, or uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. The Vorta. There's only five herbs and spices, not eleven. <laughs> <laughs> He, he was he was great in that show. What do you got, Chris? I've got five of them. Yay! If you couldn't guess, mine has a few little funky spots. Really? And, and a couple Ooh. goddamn you Mike Bailey's in there. <laughs> I, I can't Starting out with number five, which is a goddamn, goddamn you Michael Bailey fist shaker. Superman Returns shuttle scene. For all the same reasons you guys cited, it was pure... In that movie, I got a big charge out of the very beginning of it, the title credits, when the music was playing and you're zipping through space, and I was like, yes, it was John Williams' music got me going. And the second part, the only other part that really got me going was this part where it was fantastic. It reminded me actually more of the Fleischer cartoons than... um, you know, the Fleischer cartoons come to life, which always had the feel of being sort of rotoscoped people anyway. The the one scene where you just sort of see him streak up to to the, you know, the falling shuttle in the plane, it's just amazing. And was a great big screen thing in the movie. In the mo- and it, unfortunately, it happens early on in the movie, so then you have to watch the rest of the movie and <laughs> slows down a little bit. Um... And then number four is Superman versus giant robots in the Fleischer cartoon. Oh yeah, it's just that's just. And as far as cartoons go, it's an awesome. I remember seeing that as a little kid, and it was great because it was a serious. It wasn't a Bugs. I was used to Bugs Bunny cartoons, and this one was you know a serious sort of. It wasn't you know dead serious, but it was an action adventure superhero cartoon. And just the look and feel of it is unbelievable. And the, fr- the there's a sort of freedom to it at that time because in, in live action they just couldn't pull off special effects like that. So the only way you could make Superman really look like he's taking off and flying and doing his stuff is to animate it. And they pulled it off perfectly. He, he moved like a human. He didn't move like a cartoon character like in a lot of animations which was in a lot you know like the Fleischer um, um, Gulliver's Travels where Gulliver you know a lot the the more human looking characters were rotoscoped in and and looked very human like because they were just colored over humans Um, number three is my funkiest one I think and that's where uh, it's uh it's I'm not usually big on shilling, character shilling stuff, you know, but the Superman commercials, and not the Superman peanut butter commercials, but uh, the Seinfeld commercial. With, oh, with Putty doing the voice. With, with Patrick Warburton doing the voice. For, and for, American, yeah, for American Express. 
Um, those I just love those because a it was just the old school classic looking Superman. It was funny. Seinfeld demanded, by the way, he was very specific mm-hmm. that he wanted the Kurt Swan Superman. Mm-hmm. And it was it was funny, but it wasn't you know like ripping on him. It wasn't it wasn't satirical really. It was just sort of funny in a lighthearted manner. And I always like when, you know, and at that time it was, a, it was you know, you didn't see Superman in that sort of light. So it, it just showed that Jerry Seinfeld was obviously a fan of, like, classic Superman. And I, I remember seeing those commercials, and I liked the Seinfeld show, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. You know, not until it was, like, in reruns. But I remember seeing those and just being like, those are, those are great commercials and now they have like on YouTube they have them all cut together into one little long sequence um number two is uh from Superman 2 when Superman goes back to the restaurant to have a little (laughs) bit of revenge to shove around the thugs a little I I just love that scene even though even though in the Donner cut it doesn't would, make any have, sense. <laughs> he would have no memory of the fact that he picked on Clark in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it never happens. Owns him. <laughs> yeah, but you? even then, you still know if he would have had the opportunity, he would have kicked his ass anyway. So, um, and number one, come. shaking my fist again is uh, you got me. Who's got you? Mm. Just an. Yeah, it's just an awesome moment. You know, that whole sequence is awesome, but that moment is even the distilled essence of that whole sequence. And it also perfectly... It's just one of those quick little things that perfectly captured the chemistry between Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder. And uh, what was the deal with Margot Kidder? Did she did she go sort of go a little bit... She had, she, I I think she has some substance abuse problems in addition to having mental, uh, you know, she, she, she wasn't well, basically. I, I, I like to talk about that stuff in strict scientific, you know, medical terms. So let's just say batshit crazy. (laughs) See, for a second, I thought you were going to, when you, when you said Superman commercial and weird, I thought you were going to talk about the Aqua Velva commercial that Bob Pollitt the the Bob Holiday, the Superman from the Broadway show, when that show was, you know, on Broadway, he did an uh, he did a Superman themed Aqua Velva commercial that uh, that I found on YouTube last year, and it's really interesting to watch because <laughs> it's like Superman selling Aqua Velva. Wouldn't Superman have to use like salicylic acid or something like that for Aqua Velva? Well, let, let, let's not talk about the how would Superman shave thing. Because I'm so <laughs> Superman always seemed like more of an old spice guy to me. But <laughs> and a dollar for the lotion. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if, you know, one, th- two or two things. I, I left off my list, but I just wanted to make mention of them because this is like the perfect time to mention them. Uh, when we talk about the fear that the new movie might be form over substance... There's two kind of substance things in the uh, Chris Reeve Superman movies that just stand out to me that I wanted to just make mention of because I I think they really show the essence of the character and who he is because the way I see Superman is he understands 
what his power is and the responsibility that that creates for him. But he doesn't consider himself to be better than people. He just has a responsibility to them. Deep down in his heart, I see him as being a farm boy, and and yeah. that's all he really wants to be. He just, but he he just knows... happens to have these powers, so he's like, okay, it's my responsibility to do this. It's part yeah. of being living on this planet or whatever. You know, and he knows human. he has a greater purpose in life, and if anything, it's somewhat to his detriment because he can't lead a normal life because of that. Uh, and the two moments are from the first two Superman movies. And the first one is, uh, and we've talked about this before, but I don't think I've ever talked about it on the show, when Pa Kent dies and he says, you know, all these things I can do, all this power I have, and yet I couldn't save him. It, it shows that he understands that he is humble, that he knows that his powers don't mean anything, don't make him more than a man. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, bottom line is he's a man just like anybody else, and death was going to come and take his father, even though he has all these powers. And and that, along with the you've got me, who's got you line, is just such a well, well-placed line or a well-stated line that you just feel his pain in that moment. And, and I just think it's great, and it, it brings him down to his essence. And the other moment of... of particular import to me is in the second movie when he realizes that in order to be with Lo Lois according to what he's told he has to give up his powers and to be a normal man is actually something he wants to be and he doesn't take he you know ev everybody would sit there and say oh if I could have the powers of Superman that would be the greatest thing ever he's willing to give them up to be the man he wants to be with the woman he loves and I think that tells a tremendous amount about his character until eventually he learns his lesson that he has this responsibility and he needs to have his power in order to do it. And he's basically got to sacrifice the life he wants because of his responsibility. And I just think those are such powerful moments that that's the kind of thing that if they can include things like that in this new movie, that I, I will then be on board for it. So is there like a 15-minute cutscene where Jarrell's going, uh-huh? Uh huh. What did I tell you? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to me. <laughs> and and but you know what? That's something First that in the Donner cut, get... the Donner cut, that's so much more resonant. Uh huh. Be because in order for him to get his powers back, the essence of Jor-El that's in that crystal has to sacrifice it, sacrifice itself. And the son becomes the father, and the father becomes yeah, the son. Yes, it, it gives meaning to that line, and it it makes the fact that he gave up that power and has to get it back have a price which in the Lester cut it really doesn't have a price he just goes he has to he has to trudge through the snow and he gets his power back mm -hmm. yeah, it's you know so he got a little frostbite in his foot you know it's not really that high of a price this one he had to basically give up his natural born father who he still did have at least his essence so that's my my extra comments <laughs> and I brought down tracks. the room with it. What's that? Bonus tracks. <laughs> For those uh -oh. of you who bought the DVD. You know what that little lull means? It's time for everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite. Yes. And if it's not their favorite, they will kneel before it. And we will make <laughs> it their favorite. Well, this this episode just turned a dark took a dark turn. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Comic. I will kneel when they get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. All right. Oh, so this month on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, Chris got to read 12 goddamn superhero comics. And I will be covering Superman Birthright. It was written by Mark Wade and drawn by a guy named Lionel F.U., which is the best artist name ever because it sounds like he is swearing at himself. Anyway... This is a modern version of Superman's origin story again. You can tell it's modern because Pa Kent is the same, but now Ma Kent has email and apparently listens to Art Bell and probably Alex Jones. Oh god, no, no! <laughs> pa Kent still wants Clark to keep a lid on it, but when he gets when Clark gets to go to Africa as a reporter, he finds out that he kind of actually likes using his powers to be a good guy. Then we find out that Clark was high school chums with Lex Luthor, even though his only redeeming quality is that he is smart. If you think Ginger Luthor is psycho, Bald Luthor gets even prickier. When Clark gets a job at the Daily Planet, he finds out Luthor hates him, but really, really hates Superman. Lex doesn't like his goody-goodiness and makes people think Superman is here to soften us up for a Krypton invasion force. Luther has been watching old Krypton TV through a wormhole or something and knows Superman is from there even before Superman does. He makes a fake invasion force of Kryptonian Kryptoninians so he can do what he, he does every night try to take over the world. Superman and Lois figure it out, and Superman exposes Luther and saves the day, but not before he sends a wormhole message to his real ma and pa. Then we are back to normal with Clark striking out with Lois. The end. Wow, that's 12 issues. Really it was fast. really hard to put 12 issues into some... A book report like that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't find many good gags in this one either to to gag on. <laughs> um, It was a fast read. That's for sure. If that's the most positive thing you have to say about it, that's I not too encouraging. I don't have a lot of really negative things to say, but I don't have a lot of really positive things. There wasn't anything about it that I was like, oh, okay. It was just sort of, okay, this is updated. There was some cheesiness to the try. Like, the whole email conversation thing with Ma Kent was one of the things that sort of... Because I'm, uh, I'm thinking to myself, would they really be talking about the you know secret identity stuff over the email? Because that doesn't seem like a good idea, especially since it seems to be in some sort of semi-future dystopian. It's like in modern times, but it also has like the technology seems to be a little more advanced. Nah, and, it's not like the NSA could copy it or anything. Well, that, I'm thinking, you know, would they really be talking about that on email? And then I look and I see, you know, his name's, um, what was it, uh, mild-mannered, and she's Ma, like Ma Kent or something. Or no, she was um, Area 52. <laughs> and so you see their conversation, but then at the end of it you would see Slash encrypted. 
And it's like, oh, okay, it's safe. It's encrypted. <laughs> That's in Krypton. Encrypted. And, and you got to remember, too, this is 10 years ago, so... You know, the technology or knowledge of the technology was probably a little less, and people didn't realize how easily things could be traced on the internet, I think, 10 years ago, as they do now. Oh, definitely, and I think, um, I think, you know, well, the, I think the encrypted thing, they were just like, ah, maybe they shouldn't talk about that, oh, we'll just say it's encrypted, well, and, you know, I, I got the feeling that Ma was, like, really computer savvy, you know? Ma spent a lot of time in front of the in front of the computer. <laughs> Probably going to a lot of the same websites that I go to. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> donkeypunch.com is not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ma. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It, or if it, you know the the okay, the same kind of websites I would go to that would maybe have pictures of UFOs on them or videos of the Yeti or something like that, but. I, it was weird. It seemed like they were trying to incorporate the movie into it. They had di- like lines of dialogue lifted right out of Easter egg style from the movie. Um, what was it where he calls Luther well, like a twisted monster or something like that? A diseased maniac. Diseased maniac, exactly. And you know, and I mean, the the Lois Lane seemed to be pretty much Margot Kidder. With a little less of the scatterbrainness of it, like taking out a little more serious, you know, um, aggressive version of Margot Kidder. But I don't know. I can't really find much to attack about it. I thought the the whole the, art. the whole yeah. I'm not a F, <laughs> I'm not a fu fan. The, the, uh, did he really? Did they not think that, or was that a joke going around? That because like on some of the issues, you know, he put his real name there, but like most of it, it was, it was, you know, Lionel or Lionel, F- Lionel Francis Lionel. U. Yeah, Francis U. But you know, but most of the time it, on the cover, it always said Lionel F. U. <laughs> and I'm sure F. U. was in in that time period was a familiar phrase. I think it meant the same thing 10 years ago that it does now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it's kind of funny, though, because while his artwork is not what I think should have been there for a big-budget Superman origin retelling, uh, it wasn't bad, either. It's not like... It, it's not like I would read the issue and go, wow, this art sucks, because he had an interesting way of telling a story. Um... I just think that he wasn't the right choice for that. I mean, th- this book book came out in 2003, going into 2004. It was the start of what was called the Superstorm, uh, or took place during it, where basically they were trying to reinvigorate the Superman lines of comics by bringing on Brian Azzarello and Jim Lee, who produced 12 of the most boring issues of Superman ever. Uh, Greg Rucka came on Adventures of Superman and did a two-year run that I loved, uh, even though what he did to Emil Hamilton. Uh, you had Chuck Austin coming on to action, but then Gail Simone came on later. There's a series that came out as part of this uh, question miniseries that I've said in the past, you really need to read, Chris, uh, because it's written by Rick Veach with art by Tommy Lee Edwards. Uh, so it's, and it's very 
very odd. I didn't like it, but I can see where you I want, Well, would. like Rick Veach is something, somebody I actually I want to get a complete collection of everything he did. And yeah, so yeah, I'd be very interested in that. So hey, Paul, and this... Paul, oh. you okay? I, I thought I heard a bear break in your house and eat you there for a second. <laughs> I heard a- a- Azarello and then. Yeah, I, I hated that run. I but, thought that was awful. Not only was it boring, it, it's probably the worst Jim Lee art. I, I, I just hated it. He's not a really. And, and I, I may be proven otherwise with Superman Unchained, uh, but I don't think he's really good for Superman as an artist. I don't, I don't think Jim Lee is a great storyteller. No, not at all. He's, he's, he draws very, very pretty pictures. Absolutely. But this was, you know, Dan DiDio had been, uh, you know, executive editor for a little over a year at this point, and it was time to start putting his own stamp on it. And it's really funny because in 2000, uh, they tried to do a Superman origin revamp, and the fans went crazy about it. And it was kind of, they kind of, went back on that and then they did this one which they actually made the origin after superman number 200 but then that was rendered null and void after infinite crisis and then finally with secret origin they were able to change it two years before they just got rid of the continuity altogether um so this when this issue when this series first came out i didn't like it when I read it all together, when I got the hardcover uh, a couple years later, I really saw what Mark Wade was trying to do. He was trying to tell a Superman origin in a post 9-11 world. And it's very heavy handed now, but it didn't seem that way back then. Because the whole anti-terrorist stuff flying through the sky and stuff, that seems like, wow, he's really talking about what was going on then. But at that time, it seemed kind of natural. I think what... Well, now it's sort of, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is anticipating drones (laughs) a bit, you know? Where this series won me over is actually the first issue. Because we have Superman meeting up with that guy in Africa and basically seeing somebody standing up for his people and putting himself on the line because it's the right thing to do. He patterns himself after a guy who's like on the lowest, I don't want to say the lowest tier, but he's in, you know, he's poverty. He's, he's somebody who's, you know, working class in a really, you know, horrible part of the world and who's stuck by his ideals and was like, and was a man of peace, you know, and was like when he was getting arrested, he was like, OK, I'll go with you. But, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was, you know, really a try on his life. But he wasn't like, OK, bodyguards start killing everybody, you know. So, yeah, he, he definitely pat- it was it was that was that was good. A good idea, I thought. There were three things about this series that I didn't like. Uh, one was the artwork, but I'll call that on the low end. Uh, I liked Lois, but I hated the scene where she was telling Perry how to run the paper. Mm-hmm. It seemed like really heavy-handed a- attempt to make her awesome. And in all honesty, the whole Lex Luthor 
getting his making his fortune from alien from basically reverse engineering alien technology or creating technology that would work on other planets it felt weird for some reason like he was trying to put a square hole in a round you know a round peg in a square hole yeah that that really felt forced and strange and it, and it was like no you're not really doing you're basically it was like a roundabout way of him saying, like, I've got a really good imagination and I can think up stuff. This is my process. But it was, he wasn't really. And to think that just because you could figure out what Krypton was just because of trying to think about, okay, what kind of conditions was. Yeah, yeah stretch. What, what do you need to live here? Yeah, it's a um, stretch. I like that he turned the Superman symbol into a symbol of hope for the entire planet Krypton. So it kind of kind of made using that symbol uh, a little better for me. And my, my favorite Easter egg from this is the publisher from the third or fourth issue that comes in and completely humiliates. Uh, Jimmy in front of everybody, and then Lois kind of tells the guy off. That is actually based on the real-life publisher of CrossGen Comics, who Mark Wade worked for and hated, and used this as his, basically, platform to show what a jackass uh -huh. the guy really was. <laughs> to actually so, be able to tell some stories about him, yeah. Yeah, so... I like... The, I mean, it's... it's it, As origins go, of the 15 we've gotten in the past 10 years, <laughs> um, you know, I like it, I enjoy it, I... Where I think it has it over Secret Origin as a retelling is that Secret Origin was slavishly devoted to Superman the movie, whereas here you got the same vibe and a couple, you know, like Easter egg nods, but he was definitely doing his own story uh, of how Superman established himself in, in Metropolis and all that. Uh, oh, and, 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 oh, sorry, number four on the things I hated about this. It was a nice thought. Superman as a vegetarian bothered me. I, I see the auras of living things, so I can't eat meat. Alrighty, whatever. Um, that meat <laughs> looks delicious. I don't want to see how the cows are killed either. I still want a cheeseburger at least once a week. So, Although I would say if I was in Africa and I was Superman, I would be wrestling around with lions and stuff. That, would <laughs> that was a fun scene. It really was. That would be a riot because the lion would be just like, what the hell? <laughs> Dude! <laughs> and then he goes back. He's like, They're like, hey, what happened? I just wrestled with a human. I really? Wonder, I wonder if they must be, be getting it. stronger. I wonder if they'd be into it after a while. If, <laughs> if they just want to play, you could go play with them like a cat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they think that all humans can do that and oh, it leads yeah, to well, like, yeah, this, this mass mauling of the you have plains all these, of Africa. All these lions that are like, hey, there's some humans. Let's go play. <laughs> my my big thing on this book was just the art. I, or this series, actually. is uh, not Since it's 12 books, I just did not like the Lionel Francis U art, and I am not a Lionel Francis U fan. And uh, I welcome... An email from Michael Leyland, who is a uh, Michael a, a, a Lionel Francis U fan, uh, if he wants to tell us why this is good, <laughs> I would like like to actually hear it. Um, I uh, I don't like his artwork as a general rule, but when he was doing New Avengers, I could see in that 
like enough quality as far as the storytelling and as far as the layouts that I thought if you got the right anchor on him, I might like him. Somebody who cleans it up a little bit. Um, we talked about this, I think, on Back to the Bins a couple of weeks ago. But when he did the uh, the recent Hulk series, when he started out on that, he had a much heavier anchor, and I ended up not liking that either. So I'm not sure what they need to do to make me like his work, but I just don't care for it. In this particular book, it really had the look of an independent series to me and not a mainstream com- mainstream comic. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to next, because that's what we were talking to before we, about before we started recording. I think maybe before when it was just you and me and Bill, but... Um... Yeah, I as a reader of indie comics, it look it, it reminded me of a kind of a combination of it's it looked like a mainstream book that looked a little more indie. The art was a little more experimental, and it had like the the very beginning sequence that sort of has you know Superman being launched from Krypton and and you know the overarching you know you see this his spaceship flying over different sequences through his life and childhood and stuff was very indie comic looking to me so that's maybe that's why the artwork didn't the artwork didn't really bother me i wasn't there wasn't any point where i thought like yeah i don't really like this artwork but there wasn't any point where i was like wow i really like this artwork either it was it was laid out in an interesting fashion but not a striking the interesting fashion you know what i mean not like mm-hmm. really well incredibly composed but it had a sort of sketchy feel to it where you know you would have the main center of action be drawn in and then it would sort of go off to nothing in the sides it was a little strange but maybe as since i'm the you know guy that has to be made to read a goddamn comic <laughs> it's it, like I said, it definitely didn't read mainstream to me, which I guess is kind of a bold choice by them to pick an artist who's not going to look mainstream on a project like this. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Wade had some influence over that. Maybe that's the artist he picked, and you know he's a, he's enough of a power broker in comics that he could probably pick his artist and they'll let him get away with it. I could have, I, I I would have placed this if I had to guess the date. I would have placed it probably more in the late '90s because of that style. Because that would be when I would theoretically think that, you know, the big comic companies might want to actually grab a little style from indie stuff. Because that was sort of the peak of, you know, that's when hate comics was, were really popular and, you know, sort of hitting the national news and stuff. You know, that they're, they're, they were selling, there were a lot of indie comics coming out regularly. There's still indie comics, but nothing, you know, that just like. At that time, I could go to the comic store and and spend a chunk of my paycheck it's, on. It's stuff. it's not like it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, no, not uh, at all. So that's why it's the, weird. the distribution and everything is just so different from when it was then. And to be fair, independent books did a good job of trying to kill themselves. Yeah, in the they, they, they had so. they had like their they were like. These flowers I have in my backyard. I'm gonna get poetic. They're like these flowers in my backyard that are like, they're a bud, and then all of a sudden they're a beautiful flower for like two days, and then the whole plant just sort of falls apart. And that's what this was. It was like there was like a good three or four years where it was just like, oh, all right. It was sort of like TV is now these days. It was just overflowing with good stuff. 
and that was finding more good stuff, and then it was just gone. Gone, 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 and now the indie section of all the comic shops are back issues, basically, with a smattering of one or two things coming out every once in a while. Sad, really. Well, it, I, I guess like everything else, it, it you know they they kind of change with the times. It's it's almost like indie, you know, like if you think of image as indie, it's it's not really because yeah. they have the ability to distribute, well, just like the big two, really. Yeah. And, and to be fair, indie comics have just moved to web comics. These are the people that are, you know, putting together, you know, whether it's an adventure strip or comedy or whatever. I mean, I have a, my good friend Rob Kelly. Uh, with an uh, with a, an artist whose name escapes me, which I feel bad about since I'm pimping their stuff, they do this daily webcomic called Ace Kilroy, who's a monster hunter from you know like World War II era. So it's very much you know your throwback to the the, the, the pulps of old, and they 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 uh, they're about to do another Kickstarter campaign. Uh, speaking of Kickstarter campaigns, but they've released like issue forms of like the first quote unquote season of it. And it's really cool to get. And this is, this is how independent books are done now. So, you know, it, it, it's not quite going to Kinko's and making copies and mailing them out, but it's, it's, it's kind of close. It's just the, the modern equivalent of that, Yeah, which is fine by me, whatever way you're going to do it. It's good to see the people who are doing it just because they want to do it. You know. Yeah, like, like this is our shot, and you're certainly and, not making it, doing it to. I mean, maybe a lot of them are doing it with hopes to make money down the line. But for well, the yeah, because you're hoping on the, on, you do it for free, and then on the back end, sell the collections and the t-shirts and the because co- I have an Ace Kilroy coffee mug and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they'll make a little money on it, but it'll also, you know, offsetting the amount of time and effort that that they put into. It's like it's an awful lot like podcasting, I'm sure. You know where you put a lot of time and effort into it, and you can get a, you can get some money back, and it'll offset all those costs and stuff. But it, you know, yeah, it's not you're not gonna quit your day job. You know? I remember at, at one of the New York Comic Cons, I was speaking to I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head which creator it was, and and we did uh, we we did uh, get into a conversation about how there's very very few people in comics that you know that that they got into the business with the expectation of being rich i i think for the you know it, it is an industry where the at least the current crop of people they they started out as loving the the, the form and that's how they got into it you know maybe in the, in the 40s like when jack kirby started doing it it was just another job for a commercial artist but i don't think that's the way comics work now i think if you don't have a love for it you're going into some other form of commercial art well even so when you got the guys like Kirby or even the more, you know, just sort of workmanlike ones. They were artists anyway. They, you know, they went like in high school, they went, I'm going to art school. And, and if you were going to make a living, you had to do commercial art. And even, even nowadays, you know, a lot of the comic artists have made their real money by doing commercial art, you know, just either bland stuff or if they're really, you know, um, like Jack Davis or something really recognizable. But um, they're still artists, you know, so I imagine when they would get like a, a gig doing comics, it was way better 
more exciting to do that, you know, to, to actually get to engage your imagination and stuff. And that's how, you know, I mean, there were definitely people who were like, okay, just gotta draw this and that stuff. But there were, you know, a lot of those people seemed to like really jump at the chance to get a sort of artistic dynamic going. And they knew they were writing for kids, but at the same time, you know, their audience was getting older and stuff. So they, you know, they started to try to write and draw for people who were older and get their cheesecake in and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's artists. They're, they're all artists involved. So you're always going to get bet, you know, that state of mind. I don't know. I'm caffeine babbling. <laughs> No, nah, it makes sense. What you're saying is does make sense. Uh, just, I don't, I don't know what else to add to it at this <laughs> point. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it at least. I did. I mean, I mean, um, when I saw it was 12 issues, it's like, oh no. But then I was like, okay, this is modern though. 12 issues, you know, 12 issues of an 80s Marvel comic. That's a lot of reading. It's a lot of dialogue and stuff. And this one, you know, I mean, these days. There's a lot of sometimes a three or four page sequence that you can read it in 20 seconds. You know, it's splat. There's a lot of splash pages and stuff like that. So, and I'm always loath to read the origin. To you know, that's what another thing I dread about the new movie is. There's going to be it's the origin story again, and mm. I know the origin story. So. Yeah, uh, you know the origin story. Paul knows the origin story. Doctor Bill knows the origin story. I do. And yes, we had Smallville take ten years to tell the origin story. But I, I think there's something about a big budget feature film franchise that they kind of, you know, like a new generation deserves their own version of it. I guess maybe. I don't know. Like you I know, think people... they know it though. You know. Yeah, people tried to say that with the uh, Spider-Man one. And while I enjoyed the new Spider-Man movie, and I thought they did a good job of telling the origin, I don't think they needed to tell it. I think they could have gone right Is into the, the story. The thing with... that kept me from the uh, reason I haven't looked it up and seen it yet. Well, it is showing up on cable now, so you could probably catch it without uh, without too much fuss at this point. But um, yeah, I remember seeing the original Superman and thinking I don't need the origin story I remember reading it in Secret Origins as a superhero <laughs> you know but they I mean they almost had to at that point I don't think the origin had really been filmically you know portrayed very well before that so but even even so like I mean it's just it, he's so iconic and that's why I'm intrigued with the Rick Bates writing a Superman comic is Rick Bates it's not be- exactly a Superman comic it's a question book that Superman the appears Superman's in every once in a while and, yeah. it, but like cause he wrote the, the whole Brat Pack Maxi Mortal stuff that was sort of a deconstruction of, of Superman as you know like this iconic part of human consciousness you know people you know their their projection of what a perfect being would be, and stuff like that. So I'd love to see how he'd write it with the with the actual Superman. You know how he how he handles that, 
And that's why I think there's always the modern retellings of Superman is because it's, it's you know, it's just like they have to update Mickey Mouse every once in a while, you know, or, you know. Or the and every time they Mickey. still make him a completely horrible dog owner. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with a dog that intelligent. Well, at least it's not a talking dog. I've always watched. It's just, it's, it's just every time Rachel and I sit down and watch these, a couple of different, like, Mickey Christmas themed shorts he's just horrible to pluto yeah, bad pluto uh, bad pluto. And, 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 what are you doing pluto get over here i'll give you something to cry about i mean it's just <laughs> shockingly i can do mickey mouse i don't know where it comes from but it just happens so. it's less voice than the comments <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, but it's just like basically he Pluto has to almost die or disappear for him to. It, it's like the. It, it, I'd really like someone to cut together like a mock trailer for a Lifetime movie with this footage. I really would. The only reason I'm getting away from this is Scott isn't here to stop me. No, my uh, haters, Pluto. Maybe you do the adult <laughs> version. And... <laughs> Pluto, what the move are you doing over there? Yeah. Pluto, I'm gonna tell you right now. If anybody comes in here, you fell. You got me. You <laughs> fell. Pluto, if I catch you licking yourself one more time, yeah. Maybe you'll back me up if you know what's good for you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You'll see the backside of my glove. <laughs> and I know you've been. And I know you've been effing goofy too. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of the family guy where Goofy was in hell and it's like why are you here? Well you support you helped plan the terrorist attack on 9-11. Well that's what they get for supporting Israel <laughs> and I just really freaked out my dog so. so how come Goofy can talk but Pluto can't talk you know well uh, Goofy's a mutant that's a really tragic, tragic story. Why uh, does Goofy get clothes? And maybe, maybe, maybe Pluto Mickey, being the bastard dog owner, he is had, had his vocal cords removed. Oh, jeez, he's like <laughs> yeah. the gym I was from. To say, they, 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 they trimmed his tail and took out his vocal cords and chopped off his nuts. No, I was about to say, are we are we redoing like the scene from Stand by Me where they're all sitting around the campfire talking about you know the stuff that really matters? Oh, you know, I you thought, know what I'm picturing I you were right now? Say, uh, Pluto, Pluto's sick balls. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing a recreation of the scene from Planet of the Apes. You know, Pluto sitting there goofy comes over like it's looking at his head <laughs> you cut out his brain <laughs> <laughs> it's a madhouse you bastards yeah. <laughs> blew it up damn you uh, and that's what
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.